with uh, the lawlesses today. Well, not Mrs. Lawless and Leo and Chandler. And uh, we were able to have enchiladas, and they had not had them in a long time there. And so it was a special, special time to kind of visit a little bit and talk about the Friday evening uh, get-together. Uh, they're estimating, I asked them, I said, about how many people. Now this is, I mean, if just think about this. This was four to eight on Friday evening raining, and a lot of the trip for us, it was a downpour. It wasn't just a mist. It was a pretty good downpour. And they estimated about 75 people came in and out of their home. So, uh, Leo, I mean, uh, Eris, I'm sorry, uh, just such a special time and get to see so many people that uh, some we knew, some we didn't know. But uh, it was just a real special time in honoring your father. And he he's very... I would call Warren a weak man, just a very meek, weak, just a, he's quiet, he, he's unassuming, uh, he, he was never one to uh, want to stand out and be in the front, he just, uh, he just a very sober, meek, very gentle man, uh, and just, uh, just a, a a wonderful personality. He, he, you know, we had, Lynn and I both had torn meniscus surgeries and, and they were there during those surgeries. And, and uh, so it was just a real special uh, relationship over a long time. We were talking about how long y'all been here and Leo couldn't remember, but do you remember about how, has it been 25 years or 30? Okay. Wow, so that's a long time. We're about to, in June, we'll celebrate 38 years here. And uh, of course, we were telling them about some of our, our first experiences where uh, people, uh, you know, if you could make two-year mark, you've really done something at some of the churches I've pastored, if you make two-year mark. So let's go ahead. Uh, I think what we're planning on doing, if I understand correctly, I'm going to preach. Um. And then Dwight is going to come and give a presentation uh, at that, that time. And then Pastor Will is going to come after that. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 4. Now I want to just kind of begin with, uh, and I apologize for not having the note sheet out, out for y'all. I hope, I mean, I've got, I've got mine uh, I didn't even take time to tear the pages out, so I'm going to actually flip pages on my legal pad today. So uh, do y'all see the contrast? I mean, isn't it wonderful? There's no right way or wrong way to do this. It's, it's the Holy Spirit is taking his word and applying it to our hearts and lives. And so God uses different personalities and different techniques and different people to accomplish his plan and his purpose. So, <clears throat> so I'd like to start off by saying... Uh, something like, um, as we go through the Christian life, and I want y'all to think with me, as we think about the Christian life, uh, there are different ways of looking at it and, and different ways to describe the Christian life. Um, and and I'm, I'm just going to give you a thumbnail. Not, I mean, this is not the full gamut, but just a thumbnail. You know, some call it, well, I'm on a 
pilgrimage. And that, that is true. I mean, we are on a pilgrimage. And some call it a journey. And some, I've heard some people, kind of we've talked back and forth with different ideas. Some call it uh, a sprint. But I think most of us call it a marathon. And not a sprint. But here's the one analogy that I have enjoyed over the years the most of all when I think about the challenges of the Christian life, I think about uh, what we go through uh, on a daily basis and as we go through life, I like to look at the Christian life as different classrooms. And y'all have heard me refer to that many, many times. But I really like the idea of we're in a classroom, but each individual family and individual members of that family are going through their classroom and each one, you could look around, and we're all going through our own individual, and our classrooms are different. I think the lessons are, are different as God is working, because the scripture in James talks about the variety of trials. Dick has his trial that he's been going through, and others have their trials, but it's not the same. We don't have the same trial as he has. But you've got legitimate, real trials in your life, and it may not be like his, but it's, but it's your own personal, individual trial that, that you go through. So we're all going through, and so I like to think of it as a classroom. I'm going through this classroom of life. Now, those of you that have been around for a long time, and I've had parents, I've actually had parents come to me, thank you for being so honest about school, because I've got a, a, a youngster that kind of thinks they, they want to be like you. So in the area of school, say, I didn't like school. I didn't like school. I didn't like school at all. And I never did well in school, ever. Now, some of you think, uh-oh, cut him off now because that's not what I want my kids to be hearing. I want to hear the success stories. Well, uh, I started school when I was, I wasn't six, I was still five. I started public school at, in my, my last month of being five. And I, the way I look at it, looking back, I never caught up. I was the youngest in the class, and I never caught up. I was always behind. And thankfully, though, because of summer school, and my parents paying extra tutors and teachers to help me along the way, I never failed a grade. Now, I, I failed lots of tests, but I didn't fail a grade, and I was never held back. So I graduated when I was 17, and that's when I went into the Navy when I was in my late, late 17. So I was, a, I was just a kid. I was a baby. I was just a kid. But here's one thing that I learned along the way. I didn't want to fail a grade because I, I had it all figured out by then. If, I, if they hold me back, then all my friends are going to go on. And, and the peer pressure, you know, is just as real then as it is today. And I didn't want to be held back. So I did just enough to not fail. And... But the, what I, uh, another thing I learned was that I didn't pass 
I couldn't, they weren't just going to hand me the grade. I mean, I think some of them kind of did because they thought they'd get me again next year if, if uh, I failed, so they didn't want to risk that. But, um, but I had to pass or I didn't pass. Now, take that analogy, that thought with you, and this is not new for everyone here, but some of you, it'll be the first time you ever heard it. But I think in God's classroom, as we go through the classroom of, of, that God is taking us through, Mark this down. This is from experience. You're not going to pass the test until you pass. And I think all of us have tests to face. All of us have challenges to face. All of us have classrooms to face. But do you ever wonder why you're back and you're saying, I think I've been here before. I think, I think I'm facing this again. It seems so similar to what I've been through. The possibility is that God wants us to pass the test, pass the class, and then we move on to new ground, a new area that God is working on in our lives. So remember that little phrase. That's one of those that I think you'll find out later in heaven that I might have been right on this. Uh, you're not going to pass till you pass. He doesn't just push you on to the next classroom until you pass this classroom. So um, I, I, I really believe. So just think, and, and again, just a very a small sampling of the areas that God would be testing us in would be in anger, and they call it today anger management. But in anger, do you ever have a test concerning your anger? I mean, does anybody ever get out on the freeway and have somebody cut you off and you all of a sudden just want to just sit down on your horn or, you know, do all these things? I mean, you know, do you, I mean, in other things, other ways, anger, losing your temper. Do you ever have a test, ever have in a marriage relationship or a family relationship, uh, you know? And by the way, may I just, just ask you, are y'all exactly the same at home as you are here in church? I mean, you know, if we were videotaping your Monday through Friday, and we played it on the screen, would everybody, you know, would you show up that day they were showing yours? You know, so do you have an opportunity to, be, to test your, your ability to control your temper? How about mothers with children? You know, the kids grow up and they know us better than anybody else. And they see us up here teaching and they see us up here praising God and you know, singing the hymns, and we get home, and we, we could be, and it is, and I know it's been true in some situations where it's like a total turnabout, a total hypocrite. You're one way here at church, another way at home. So the, you have op opportunities to test whether you can keep your temper or lose your temper. Uh, loving others unconditionally. That's an area that we all have to deal with, loving somebody when they're rude, when they don't really like us that much. Um, patience versus impatience. Anxiety. There are people that, that have sleep issues. They cannot sleep because they're so, they're wringing their hands in the middle of the night. They can't sleep. They can't rest. And so anxiety. Faith. Trusting God. Uh, faith in God's provision and His promises and His words. 
And we heard this morning, and, and you've heard this from me many times, you know, food and clothes is really what God has promised. I mean, he didn't promise, you know, four-wheel drive Chevrolet truck. Oh, I'm sorry, Bill. Uh, four-wheel drive Ford truck. He didn't promise that. It's, it's a nice to have, but if you're down to food and clothes, we should be content with that because that's the provision that God applies. And so all of us, each one of us individually face these different circumstances, different challenges, different situations. And if you were to take a little survey of everybody, I would venture to say probably everybody here is facing something, some sort of challenge or some sort of test or some sort of situation that you're involved in that God is saying, I've got you here. And I want you to learn the lessons that I, I'm wanting to teach you in this classroom. And then there's situations where you say, boy, I just really don't know how this is going to work out. I mean, this is a total, total by faith thing. I don't really know how it's going to work out. I believe North Belt Baptist Church, as you'll hear today, I believe North Belt Baptist Church, we've entered into a classroom. A classroom that is going to take all of us as members to take God's word by faith and live by faith and trust him completely as we go through the classroom. And again, I want to say it again. I don't think North Belt will move along to a new classroom till we pass this one. I think we've got to pass this one and then we'll move to another one. So I want to call attention to passage of Scripture. We, you wondered if I'd ever get there, and yes, we are. Uh, Philippians chapter 4. And the section that we're going to look at in a little bit of detail, but not, not great detail, but a little. It follows the famous passage that we're all familiar with, that verse 8, Philippians 4, 8. It follows after this. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, Think on these things. Think on these things. And then highlighted in my Bible, where I've highlighted certain verses in this, I have two that stand out. And, and this is what I'm, I want us to, to notice. We have a ten, and it's fine because they apply. But verses 13 and verse 19, we pull those out many times and we apply them to our lives, but we really don't consider the context. Does that make sense? In other words, we pull out verse 13 and pull out verse 19 and we say, I'm, I'm going to apply this to my life, but we don't really consider the context of the passage. So it is important, although it's very, we apply it daily. There's no doubt about the ability to apply. I'm not, 
I'm not saying no to that. I'm just saying when you apply it, it's really helpful, I think, from time to time to get a little background and get, get it in context. What, what was the Apostle Paul really writing about? So the verses that I'm referring to, verses 13 and 19, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And then verse 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Okay, think about it again. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Have you ever thought about the fact that those two verses are sandwiched in between verses on money? It's deal the whole passage here is dealing with money. Giving and receiving. Taking care of missionaries. It's all there in this text. So let's look at it. Uh, let's see. Let's go back to verse 9. So I'm just going to go ahead and read the majority of this. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. That's pretty good. What you see in me, do it. So he was... He was a faithful ambassador for Christ. And you're seeing Christ lived, living his life through the Apostle Paul. He says, now do it. And the God of peace shall be with you. Now verse 10, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last year care of me hath flourished. You need to look at these key words, have flourished again. Your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. But you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want. Now then verse 11, right here in the middle, where I have learned. You ought to highlight that. You ought to underline it. You ought to make notes. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state or condition or situation or circumstance I'm in, therewith to be content. Now, the Apostle Paul used the same word that we talked about this morning about learning contentment. But he is saying, I have learned it. I am in the process. I am learning how to be content. And look again at the context. Look at what's going on. I know both how to be abased. What does abased mean? Does anybody know right off the bat? What does abased mean? Be, to do without, basically. That's kind of not having much. So I've learned how to be abased, and I know how to abound. What's abounding? When more's coming in. Less is coming in, more is coming in. So I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I'm instructed both to be full, I'm instructed to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. You see the contrast? I've, I'm abounding, I've had, I've had more than I needed, and then there are times it didn't look like I had enough. But in, the, in all of that mix, I'm learning how to be content. 
with it, it I see this as fluctuating giving. I mean, they, they're, they're, the pattern here is not a, a, a regular steady. They wanted it that way, but, it, but the context doesn't say that. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. Then he says, isn't this amazing? I can, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. The Apostle Paul was a real person. He's a real human being. And he had struggles and feelings and emotions just like we do. And when the gifts were coming in, he was grateful. And when they were not coming in, he was being strengthened, both when he was abounding and when he was abasing. He was be, but, this, but the context there is, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. So I can, either, I can succeed in abasing, I can succeed when I'm abounding. Because his contentment was in the Lord, it wasn't in things, it wasn't in stuff. And so he was learning how to be content, but he was learning a lesson about he could do all things. He, it didn't matter what life challenged him with, what circumstance was around the corner, he could do all things through Christ. Notwithstanding, now look at this, follow with me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. That you did communicate with my affliction. Now, years ago, I remember mentioning this from this pulpit, and you need to remember or understand that word communicate was there's not a letter writing compound, uh, uh, from the church. They weren't sending love letters to the Apostle Paul. Communicate has to do with finding out needs and meeting needs. And so look at, if you keep that in mind, it's really about giving the Apostle Paul, giving missionaries money, providing for their needs. Notwithstanding, you have well done that you did communicate, you shared, you were helping to meet needs in my life, you shared with my affliction. So it's about giving and receiving. It's about giving and, and meeting the needs of someone else. But in this case, it was the Apostle Paul. And you, you can follow this as we go along. Now ye uh, Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated. Again, they were not writing letters. No church communicated with me as concerning here it is, giving and receiving, but ye only. You were the only one. There were other churches out there, but they were not involved at the time, at, at that present time, they were not involved in communicating or in finding out his needs and trying to help meet his needs in giving and receiving, but ye only. So there was one church involved. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once, sent a gift once, and again, unto my necessity, unto my need. So they did it more than once, but it wasn't, I don't see this as, they wanted it to be more regular, but it wasn't regular. They, they, they intended it to be, but they gave when they could. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again, unto my necessity. Now then, look at verse 17. 
not because I desire a gift. Now, this is the man receiving. This is the missionary receiving. And I want you to see it from his perspective. He's got this one church, and they're finding out his need, communicating, finding out his need, finding out what, what, how they could help him. And, and basically, at this point in time, there was just the one. And so he said, it's not that I desire a gift. So missionaries, they're not saying, send your money so we can have our needs met. He's saying, not that I desire the gift. Those that are receiving the, the gifts from the giver. Not that I desire the gift, but I just look at this. This is, to me, this is powerful. But I desire fruit that may abound to your account. I desire fruit. What would that fruit be? Does anybody have an idea? What would that fruit be? We're talking about the ones giving, the church giving, the ones sending to meet his need the best they can. What would that fruit be? It's blessings here and rewards later. You get it? It's blessings here and rewards later. Why? Because God is a bookkeeper and he's keeping track. He, and this is so important for us to grasp. He's keeping track of those who are giving, just like we've heard from the pulpit here the last few weeks. Are we giving out of our abundance? Are we giving the leftovers? How are we giving? What's left when we give? And so the Apostle Paul makes it very clear, not that I desire a gift, but I desire, he longs for a fruit that may abound to their account. God's keeping track and he's saying, I'm going to add fruit. And I believe that's the bottom line. It is blessings here and now, but I think it's rewards later. God's a bookkeeper. He's keeping track of our giving records. And he's giving back. And it's just like it's in those bank bags that don't break. I mean, he's, he's keeping track and he's giving to our account, stacking up rewards for us to receive later. So is that, make, is that making any sense at all? I'm, I'm getting a blank stare a little bit. He, he's saying, I don't, I don't really am not desiring a gift. I want, it's going to benefit you more than it's benefit me. You be the giver and God's going to fill up your bank account. Now, keep in mind that there's that temptation, the temptation to give to get. And we've got to be really careful that we don't have that in the back of our mind that, I'll, that I'm thinking, wow, did you see that? I'm going to get benefits. I'm going to get rewards. I'm going to get blessings here on earth. So I'm going to give. And then you stand there and expect God to give back. That's not the way it works. But we need to be careful. that The fact is, as we give, God's keeping track. And there will be fruit to our account, that is Bible, that is the Word of God, there will be fruit to our account as we give the way God instructs us to give. Verse 18, But I have all and abound and am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, this was the gift you sent, an odor of sweet smell, a, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Now, I've done a little bit of research, 
I think this is where we're headed. I believe this church had gotten so generous, there was a, like a, a discussion, like we're emptying our bank account here for this missionary. We're, we're unloading everything we've got. There's no backup. There's nothing to fall back on. Where are we going to go from here? What if things get tough? And then look at what the Apostle Paul writes next. And he's writing to them, and he says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's the one we pull it out, and we use it all the time. We use it for everything. You know, God's going to supply my need. But in context, this church had basically emptied their bank account for the Apostle Paul, giving him these gifts. And their, their humanity was real, and they probably, some of them were struggling like, you know, we've just about given all we can give. We can't give anymore. And then Apostle Paul says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Folks, the bottom line is the Apostle Paul had some issues going on. Not all the churches were participating. Not all the churches were giving. The scripture is very clear of that. At the first, only one. And, and not everybody was involved in, in giving and, and trying to reach out to, the, to their missionary. And he even ex excuses them in a way that, and he says, but you lacked opportunity. But you lacked opportunity. He was actually giving them uh, uh, an excuse. But you lacked opportunity. I'm going to just say this. You and I will never, ever, ever be able to outgive the Lord. Even if we tried to outgive Him, we'll never match because it's coming out of a, a righteous resource that you and I really, we've really, I don't think till we get to heaven that we can really fathom the depth of the resources of God. And so we're working on this human plane, trying to apply Scripture to our lives, but we'll never be able to outgive God. And we need to understand that He's keeping track of our giving and how much is left over and how much we're giving, and, and He's keeping track of all of that. And there will be fruit applied to our account as we're obedient to Him in scriptural giving. And we all must learn the, the uh, lesson in this classroom of being content where God has us. And that's for, for me, that's for all of us as individual believers, that's for this church. We have a responsibility to learn the lesson of contentment. And we can say, well, we're not extravagant. I'm not, I don't live an extravagant life. Compared to the figures we heard this morning, most of us live an extravagant life from what we heard this morning. And so it's important that we learn to get by on a little and we get by on a lot. Do you know that Matthew Henry, I looked at Matthew Henry and he pointed out 
that probably having a lot is a lot more troubling than going with little. Because having a lot brings a lot more con uh, temptation. Temptation to be neglectful. Temptation to be careless. Temptation to neglect the needs of others. Now, not everybody, not everybody falls in that category. But he pointed out that there is probably as much or more trouble when you're flourishing, when you're doing well, than when you're needy. And so, folks, the challenge for us today, our church is in a classroom. You're going to hear about it. You're going to hear about this classroom, and we're in it. And I want to be the first to say, let's pass this test. Let's pass this test as a class, as a church, as families, as individuals. Let's pass. Let's don't murmur. Let's don't complain. Let's don't react. Let's pass this test so we can move on to other classrooms. And guess what? Till the day we die, we're going to go from one to the next to the next to the next. And so it's encouraging to think that the Apostle Paul was addressing. And think about it. Yeah, these verses, you apply, you pull them out, you apply them to your daily life. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. I can, no, ma no matter what I'm facing today, I can. But he was talking about whether I have a little, whether I have a lot, whether there's much coming in, not much coming in, doesn't matter. I can do all things. I can survive this. And then for the church, as they were emptying their pocketbooks and saying, we're going to give as much as we can possibly give, he said, just remember, my God should supply all your needs. Church, North Belt, here we are. Here we are. We're in a classroom. How's it going to go? I really, you know, we've had a few classrooms in the last three years. We've had a few classrooms. I hate to say, I think we failed a couple. I wish I could say that, oh yeah, we've passed everything with flying colors. I don't think we have. But we have an opportunity today to start fresh today. As we enter this classroom that we're involved in today, I think we can. I pointed out, we had a little meeting in between services. And I pointed something out. Let me just remind you of some things and then Dwight's going to come. Does anybody remember the day way back? Probably, I don't know how many years, I didn't count the years. But some of you newer people probably didn't realize that our elders, we were sensitive to families growing and having children. And our churches always loved children. We've honored children and families that had children. And there'd be, we'd tell people, oh yeah, we've got families with 10 kids and 12 kids. And they'll say, what? We've never heard of, y'all are Baptists? I mean, what kind of religion are y'all? Y'all have all those kids. I said, yeah, and amazingly, they're in our services. Here we are facing this classroom, and we, we have an opportunity to trust the Lord. And I've, I was just, I remembered, and I wrote down in one, of my, in one of the notes I had, that there was a day years and years ago that we, the elders decided to give $500 to every family when they had a birth of a child. 
Have you ever heard of a church giving somebody $500 check for having a baby? I mean, the church giving them $500 for having a baby? We just, we just loved, and we knew they were struggling. We knew they had needs, and so it was one way to do it. But that's when we were abounding. We also, another time, uh, there was several years in a row that we had all these volunteers doing all these things, serving week after week after week after week, never getting a penny for it, serving. And so the elders decided we'd give a little bonus at the end of the year. And it was not uncommon for us to give over $1,000 to somebody that had faithfully given their time to the church. I mean, if you paid them by the hour, I mean, $1,000 wouldn't even come close. But we had money. We had more money in the bank at that time. So it, we, flour, we were flourishing. We gave away. We were giving gifts to people for their faithful service. Then things got tight, and we stopped doing that. Now, I want to I wrap it up with one last thing. And I, I don't want to give too many clues because y'all would y'all are going to, it's going to, you're going to stay awake at night trying to figure out who it was. But we had paid cash for a building, but we had no chairs to sit on. We had paid cash for our building, but we had no chairs to sit on. And I got up in the pulpit and I said, I believe that we will have the money for the chairs. We needed like twenty-five dollars or $27,000 for chairs for this room. And I said, I'll, I believe we'll have that money within six weeks. And I got in my vehicle, the Honda, black Honda we had that, at that time, and my wife looked at me and said, Rod, what are you thinking? You have never, ever put a time limit on God and the giving. You've never done that. Why did you? I said, I just felt that was God's direction. That following week, I received a phone call from the most unsuspecting person in the church. She was a widow. She was a widow. And she said, God has moved in my life, and I want to write a check for $25,000 for chairs. Are y'all out there? Would you say amen? Come on. I mean, isn't that exciting? A widow. I made the challenge. I wasn't trying to be, you know, Super Joel or anything. I wasn't trying to be, I wasn't trying to be anybody. I was just be. I just said, this is what I think. And this is how God has led me. And before the week was out, God provided. Man, I was about to shout. I was about to shout. I wanted to jump up and down and shout. I wanted to come out of my Baptist shell. I said, God's supposed to. Linda, God did it. She said, yeah, he sure did, didn't he? And I tried to talk her out of it. I'm serious. I tried to talk her out of it. But I said, are you sure? Are you 100% sure? I want you to know for sure. Do not do this unless you know this is what God has laid on your heart. She said, I prayed about it, and this is what God wanted me to do. And you're sitting in those chairs today. Praise the Lord. That ought to excite you. Now look, we're going through a little bit of a basing, a little bit of a lack. Let's pass the test. 
Would you all join me in pass? I, I'm going to do something really wild. If you join me in passing this test, stand up. If you want to join me, I'm standing. If you want to join me, let's pass this test. Let's church, let's stand up. We're facing a test. We're facing a challenge. And this is not presuming upon God. This is not doing anything crazy. We're just, you're just standing to stretch and get the blood flowing. And we are saying together as a church, we realize we're facing a trial, a test, a classroom. Let's together join together and face it and trust our Father. We're trusting for heaven. We're trusting to, you know, when you take your last breath, you're going to go be with him. Let's trust him for the next paycheck. Amen? And to take care of missionaries and take care of the things that we know that need to be done. And you're, you're testifying that we're in this together. We're working together, trusting our Father and His Word. It's not about, it's not trusting me. It's not trusting Dwight. It's not Pastor Will. It's trusting our Father. And if you, you know what? If we can't trust Him, why don't you go play golf or something? I mean, come on. Look, that's why we're here. Amen? Let's pray. Pastor Will, lead us in a word of prayer. Then Dwight's going to come. And this will be just, he's going to, this is going to be the transition. But he's going to lead us in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that you're a father that wants us to grow. And Lord, we just pray that you would help us to be mindful and to seek you. And Father, we do our, our best to trust you. We pray like the man asked, uh, asked Jesus, Father, increase our faith and use us during this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.